Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Melbourne, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. In this episode's conversation, we explore the accelerating trend towards outsourcing day-to-day assets, both business-wise and in our private lives. In the on-demand economy, accessing is better than possessing. In this Florence Guild conversation, Justin Passaportis, General Manager of Victoria and South Australia at GoGet CarShare, and Danielle Sampson, Director of Partnerships and Experiences at Base Commons Co-Living, will explain why and how it is far more cost-effective to share resources than invest in ownership. Access over ownership? A Florence Guild conversation with Justin Passaportis and Danielle Sampson. Well, hello, we're a few today, so this is going to be a really interesting and uh, intimate conversation. So you all know me, so I don't have to introduce myself. Um, and, and thank you for, for being here and joining uh, for Florence Gill uh, Speaker Series. So you know that we're talking about the antidisciplinary future, we talk about different aspects of it, and today is mainly about access over ownership. And what does it mean as an individual and also for businesses? Uh, we know that there's this membership economy going on and that's nothing, it's not new. However, there are some different aspects um, in today's world that are making those dynamics work a bit different. And that's why today we have Justin, General Manager um, from Go Get Card Share, and Danielle Sampson, um, Director of uh, Experiences and Partnerships of Base Commons Co Living. Um, so I'm going to sit down here because today I'm part of the panel. <laughs> So, uh, Justin and Daniel, if you want to just introduce yourself a little bit first and tell us what you do, and then we're going to kickstart with some questions. Is that right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Justin, do you want to start? Yeah, go Thanks for it. Thanks very much for the introduction, Marques. <laughs> um, as Marques said, my name is Justin. Uh, I'm with Go Get Car Share. Um, maybe a quick show of hands. Do you guys know about? Wow. Yeah, we all that, know. It's so funny. <laughs> I usually ask that and there's like a guy in the back and he's like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's impressive. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but GoGet is car share. Uh, we're Australia's first and largest car share organization. Uh, we have 2,400 vehicles uh, and we're knocking on the door of 100,000 members um, throughout the nation, which is, uh, which is quite a big milestone for us. We've actually been in operation longer than many people think. so over 10 years uh, and I myself have been with GoGet for the last four years. Uh, my remit is Victoria and, and South Australia uh, and if you think I've got a funny accent it's because I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe um, in, in southern Africa uh, and actually one of the reasons I think I was attracted to car share uh, in the first place was because in Zimbabwe people don't have a lot right uh, and, and anything that people do have uh, is extended to its utmost, uh, so there's very little wastage, right? So I think, uh, I've been reflecting on this as you can see, uh, and I think I, I naturally gravitated to uh, something like car share, 
uh, where we really intend to sweat the assets uh, as much as possible uh, and get the most out of them uh, and have as little wastage uh, as possible. I'll, I'll leave it there uh, yeah, in, in, lieu, in lieu of the <laughs> questions, but that, that's me. Fantastic. Thanks, Justin. What about you, Daniel? Um, so I'm one of the four directors at, at Base Commons. We are... Um, more of a kind of very much in our infancy at the moment. We don't have a physical space, but we did earlier this year run uh, an event series where it's about um, educating and engaging people in kind of sustainable urban living. So, um, I mean, in Australia at the moment, or at least in Victoria, there is a co-housing um, development out in Heidelberg, um, but it's very kind of different to the way that we're looking at kind of metro and urban living um, in kind of smaller spaces, um, being able to kind of draw on those resources. But um, essentially co-living is two parts. I'd say you've got your intangible and your tangible. You've got your physical shared spaces and then you've got the ideals of kind of breaking down that, that sense of needing to own things um, and being able to kind of openly share resources, experiences, emotional space, um, and many more things. Um, there's a, a, a co-living development in London called The Collective, and they have kind of more of a, um, a resolved definition of what, of what they see co-living as being, and um, it's kind of about sharing um, for a more fulfilling life as well, they're kind of saying. So at Base Commons, we understand that there's heavily some like emotional um, well-being aspects to being able to share resources and living spaces. So um, I think I'm very much interested in that kind of emotional aspect and being able to kind of mitigate some of the, the isolation that's occurring in this day and age, um, but also very interested, obviously, in the, in the resource sharing that occurs within that. Fantastic. So, yeah. so folks' question, and we know that in the, in the Western culture, we, you know, the idea of just owning, processing is, I have, therefore I am, mm -hmm. or just the, that American dream, well, we want the house, we want the car, and now we're just saying, well, we're shifting, and it's about sharing and not owning. So I guess maybe you might find some resistance out there, which is, who, so who are your customers? Who are the early adopt adopters, and who's your community? Justin. Um, yeah, listen, I think, that's probably the, the single biggest challenge that we face in car share, right? Um, you know, it's embedded in our culture, th this idea of the, the automobile. We've had a love affair with the automobile for, you know, a good part of a, of a century. Uh, and so, you know, here we come along in car share saying, hey, is there a better way to do this? You know, try car share. Uh, it's a massive ch um, process of behavior change. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, it's a challenge for us. Um, but I think the fact that we, we have established this community uh, of almost 100,000 people is testament to the fact that um, it works, right? Um, and, and just to kind of give you some context to that, um, what we were experiencing, the, the, the reason car share came about is because on the one hand, you had booming populations in cities. Um, you had um, congestion uh, and emissions increasing at, a, at an alarming rate, uh, governments scratching their head um, about what they could do about this. Uh, and on the other side of the equation, uh, you had people kind of waking up to the, to the true cost of car ownership, right? Which costs, you guys would know this, $10,000 is the average uh, cost to own and administer uh, a vehicle each year. And then along comes car share, um, which is a re really robust um, solution and a tick across, you know, 
across the board, right? It's, it's a tool governments can use to address these, these issues of, of uh, congestion and pollution. Uh, it's a viable business model, uh, and it's a win for the community. Um, so really, it's such a compelling case, um, which kind of uh, led to, to the rise of, of car share. Uh, and to answer the second part of your question, you know, we, we're building a community um, of early adopters. Uh, and as you pointed out, critically, uh, these are people who are willing to let go of this closely held idea of ownership uh, in lieu of access, right? So, so they've, they've let go of this idea uh, and they're comfortable um, with just being able to access transport uh, whenever they need it by the hour or by the day. So our average member is probably somewhere between 25 to 45 years old, um, educated, um, lives in the inner city, is a split, sort of a relatively even split between uh, men and uh, women. Um, and it, it makes for a fascinating um, you know, insight into, into who uses it. But having said that, we're trying to cater for people you know, at each end of the spectrum. right? And, and what I mean when I say that is you can now learn to drive in a go-get car. So we accommodate learner drivers. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum, we have a, a plan that's dedicated for seniors. Right? So our goal is to provide mobility solutions for everybody. Uh, and so anybody who falls in that, in that spectrum and is a driver can uh, you know, feasibly sign up for GoGet. Yeah, and I guess we're really a massive challenge. I mean, here in Australia, everyone owns a car. Everyone mm. has a car. And even just transport is so difficult to move around. I come from another city where public transport will take you anywhere. Mm. Uh, so I, I guess it's also a bit of a challenge here in, in Australia yeah, compared with other cities. So, um, yeah, Danielle. I, I'd say there's, there's a couple of aspects to that um, access over ownership. I, I, my, day my day job is actually as a marketing manager. So, I mean, we've... As marketing managers, we've spent you know a hundred years trying to perfect how to get people to buy things and and kind of have that sense of ownership. So, on the other hand, my background is actually in architecture, so understanding you know physical spaces and how people inhabit spaces and the effect that has on people's psychology and and things like that. But I think, in terms of the millennial market that's coming up, a lot more people are kind of understanding that they're choosing lifestyle over like lifestyle and access to amenity really over that that sense of ownership it's not really in their priorities and i think that's something that maybe the baby boomers haven't necessarily not not everyone of course but there's there's a large portion of baby boomers that don't really grasp that concept i mean i still have my parents kind of saying to me you know put a deposit on a house and all of these all of these sorts of things that you still you're still grappling with but at the same time it's not really just for a millennial market i mean we see this model of, of sharing spaces uh, really being successful in kind of a retirement village sort of setting where, again, that isolation creeps in, being able to kind of have people share their spaces and their lives and, and amenity, resources, skills, knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you've got the, the, the other aspect where you could have intergenerational co-living co and co-housing. So you've got the younger generation learning from the older generation and, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, I think this, this aspect, I mean, there's such a huge renting culture in Melbourne, especially in the inner city. Um, share houses are going up. There are you know, platforms like Flatmate, Flatmates and uh, even on Facebook, there's a, there's a group called Fairy Floss that you have people posting you know, every day and 80 applicants per house. You can, you can see that there's absolutely a demand for these shared spaces and for these affordable spaces. But um, 
you know, it's it's yet to kind of clock over to that kind of structured, you know, technology. Like, there's there's no real platform for it yet, and I think that's something that that base comms is trying to really navigate at the moment as to as to where that appetite is and and how to really add value to those users without kind of centralizing too much of the capital that comes through that or trying to be a developer in and of ourselves. So, so you, you were saying also you don't have, I mean, as base commons, you don't have a physical space yeah. at the moment. So is, is that a ch one of the challenges that you're finding <coughs> as a business model? I mean, wh yeah. what, are, what are those other challenges? It's yeah, look, I mean, I've been, I've been involved with base commons um, for just about 12 months now so very very recent and the four directors have incredible skill sets in their own areas but we are all kind of working in other roles at the moment as well so it's about trying to feel out how much time and energy we're able to kind of yeah like any startup obviously you've always got that kind of you know that um hurdle to overcome and that kind of gap but um it's not really that we're finding not having a physical space being the, the concern i think for us again it's about how we add that value and like I said, it's not being—it's not about being a developer. It's actually about being a facilitator. And I mean that—that that word gets thrown around a lot. But if you look at kind of the traditional development model for multi-residential apartments or units that are in a city, you've got kind of a developer who does their market research and understands what that area needs, what the price points are, how big the you know how big the apartment should be, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that they're really, really missing in that aspect of research and development is actually understanding what the community wants and really doing that kind of on the ground community engagement and asking the right questions and being able to kind of integrate as much of that that is feasibly possible into that development. Um, and then along the way, communicating to their community on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that in a way is such a high priority in a leadership role that, that leading a development is almost like kind of engaging your, your employees or your workforce on an ongoing basis. You make sure that there's that open communication there. And then not just kind of developing and then pissing off, you yeah. know, and then going, well, like, how do we continue community building in this space? And I think, you know, Marquez, you probably know this really well, that managing events and, you know, co coercing people to come to events and, you know, rounding people up and engaging people is incredibly difficult, but incredibly rewarding. And when you get people in a space, there's nothing like that. I mean, technology podcasts, even though they have opened up an incredible opportunity to, to kind of draw on, you know, international global knowledge and YouTube videos, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than kind of being in the same space as someone, really feeling that energy and having those, you know, real-time conversations. Right. And said so that you were mentioning technology, um, which is one of the aspects when we talk about the membership economy nowadays, there are two factors that actually makes it so, you know, booming, and it is technology that you can run businesses in a very cost-efficient yeah. way, and this idea of engaging with community in a very open conversation and open dialogue. Um, so, Justin, in terms of technology, how has technology enabled GoGet's uh, business? Mm. I think that technology has enabled our business, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think, to go get's credit, um, it's developed its own in-house technology from scratch, right? So the entire front end uh, and back end systems uh, are developed by um, by our in-house developers, um, which has allowed us to be, I think, more nimble 
than if we went and purchased the product or off the shelf and tried to apply it to our sort of circumstances. Um, so I think, I think that's been very important. And of course, car share wouldn't exist, right, if it wasn't for the advent of the internet and, and the smartphone, and you can just pull out uh, you know, your phone, open the app, and, and book your car. Certainly, this, this has um, allowed us to, to grow at a rapid rate. Uh, at the risk of sounding maybe a little bit controversial, though, um, I would say that uh, there's a limit to technology that we should be wary of, especially in the context of a community. So, I mean, we've, we've been sharing things since time began, right? And, you know, from tools to holiday homes, these are just sort of recent examples. Um, but it, technology has enabled us uh, to get to the next level. But I think what underpins something like car share in the first place is this aspect of, of community um, and, and, and a better way um, of using the resources that we do have. Yeah. I was doing a little bit of reading kind of about the technology platforms that are really facilitating this, this shared amenity, knowledge, resources, um, skills, etc. And they call it kind of as people start engaging with it and adding their, as I said, belongings or knowledge, it becomes this network effect. And that's where that technological platform really starts to have value where you can, you've got an itinerary of people's belongings, you can start engaging on that platform together. It's it's almost, in some ways it can be decentralized, in other ways it will still have to go through a centralized platform. And I think I was speaking to Justin about this earlier in terms of that blockchain kind of craze that's coming up now. And I had to try and wrap my head around this yesterday, <laughs> which yesterday. is, I'm still, I'm still not there yet, <laughs> but like openly saying that, but at the same time, from my understanding, it means that two people, people can basically exchange resources without going through kind of a, a middleman, essentially. And I think in a lot of ways, I mean, we, Justin and I, the platforms that we'd want to be creating in some ways are the middle, the middleman. But at the same time, you know, as long as it's done in kind of an ethical way, I mean, these platforms are really pioneering that sharing economy. So I suppose it just depends how you define the shared economy, whether it's whether it's totally um, connecting people into non-paid, non-monetary exchange resources, or whether it is just about having people share underutilized resources for the betterment of sustainability and you know, everything else that comes along with trying to mitigate some of the capitalist, you know, <laughs> kind of themes that come through and us sure. just trying to create more and more and more and purchase more and more and more mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. Fantastic. So talking about uh, purchasing and money. So the other aspects, so we say technology and the other thing is that access, you know, today access to financial capital. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many startups or entrepreneurs or even business that are now transitioning from maybe an exchange or transition kind of model to uh, providing a membership or a subscription-based mm -hmm. subscription uh, yeah. business model uh, is access to you know, financial capital and yeah. you can build communities, be in touch with the consumer before even generating any revenue. Mm -hmm. So talking about investment, is there any investment in terms of the co-living um, yeah. scenery? Look, I think there's been an incredible amount of interest and it's something that people, um, and I was saying again to Justin before that, you know, we get calls from you know, venture capitalists, we get calls from developers, we get calls from people who want to live in these spaces. Um, and, you know, what we, do you say to them? Well, <laughs> I mean, these are the conversations that need to be had. But I mean, the development industry is actually, well, the building industry it actually moves 
quite slowly in terms of innovations. I mean, technology's increasing, obviously. I mean, there's prefabrication coming out where they're building, you know, in half the time that they used to and they can do it at night and, and things like that. And But in terms of our actual mentality of what a home is, I mean, it took, you know, decades to basically shift away from that quarter acre block mentality where you wanted to live in a you know detached house out in the suburbs and bring your kids up with a white picket fence and I mean that still hasn't necessarily gone away and there's you know horses for courses and everyone wants different things and we're in no way suggesting that co-living is the answer to literally everyone's lifestyle because it just you know it would be <laughs> like that would be tyrannical but um I think it's about having that conversation and trying to really kind of navigate how that sits, how our services sit along the current development process and how much they want to inject and invest into it. Because really it's something that hasn't been done 100%. You know, there, there, there are some aspects, but they're purpose built. So you've got the collective, you've got the commons in, in the common in New York. I mean, the common in New York almost works like a service department model, but the issue that they're finding is they are struggling to community build in a really sustainable way. So they're having a lot of kind of travelers come through and set up shop for a short period of time and then leave again. And I mean, that isn't really what, you know, Base Commons is trying to pioneer in Melbourne. It's really trying to pioneer healthy communities, healthy, sustainable communities. Um, and that's not to say that you can't stay for a shorter period of time or a longer period of time, but I mean, if these if these buildings are either designed for flexibility, so you've got adaptive spaces where you know a couple can move in at one stage and actually their room and living spaces grow with you know whether they have children and become a young family. I mean, it's incredible because they can stay in these inner cities. So there's a, there's a concept called I think aging in place. So um, you know you've got you've got Kind of an older generation at the moment who's maybe grown up in the grown up in the inner city or brought their young family up in the inner city and then you've got density which is starting to occur and medium rise development which is starting to occur and they're deciding to move out of their their detached homes basically and move into medium rise development so that they don't have to worry so they're called downsizes basically so you don't have to worry about gardens and you get to move into a new development that fosters a sense of community and also has new like new um you know bench tops and stoves and you know resources that you can draw upon so um yeah, I think it's something that needs to be researched and developed. So, I mean, the conversations that we're having are highly conceptual at the moment and working out what's the value? How do we start small? You know, because it's one of those things that for us, it was about the event series. So it was about gathering people for a small amount of research and development. And we got, we got people to actually come to these events and engage in kind of art and performance and um, you know food and workshops and things like that but also actually look at a floor plan and say what's the what's the best way to use this space how do you get waste through a space how do you compost how do you and it's interesting people who hadn't really considered architecture or design before them using their common sense and the way that you know things work to really nut that out and it was really kind of amazing so I guess you were saying, oh, sorry, Jesse, what no, no, was I just, I was just going to pick up on a point that um, Danielle mentioned uh, that I think is, is really appropriate in that Base Commons, for example, is not trying to be everything to everyone, right? Um, in a similar vein, uh, car share exists uh, as one complement of many in the transport spectrum, right? 
So, so we don't expect that uh, having signed up for car share, you will then use car share for every single trip you have to make. In fact, the opposite is true. We believe that public transport or mass transit should continue to form the backbone of how a city gets around. Uh, but in certain instances, you might step outside your door, it's raining, uh, or you're going to the airport, or you've got an errand to run or something. And for that particular trip, um, it's most suited to car share. Um, you know, and, and that's why we, we use rideshare. Um, I live on my bicycle. I complement it with public transport. And then I just use uh, car share as another option that's available to me. So I think, I think that's a really um, important point, point yeah. to note. Yeah. Fantastic. So in those initiatives that you're both uh, part of, what's, what's government support there? Is, is there anything, you know, are the, what are the initiatives they're providing for you to be able to develop um, these projects and where, if there's any gaps or there's something missing there? Should I, I start? Yeah, oh, go, Joseph. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, listen, the, 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 where the government fits in is a fascinating, um, sort of adds another dynamic to, to the process. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, in short, uh, absolutely, uh, car share in Australia relies heavy, heavily uh, on collaboration with local government especially. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, of the 560 bays, or car share pods as we refer to them, uh, that I have in Melbourne, 60% of those uh, are on street and on street typically means they're provided by city councils. This, this is fantastic to have city councils on board and it's absolutely terrific that they're using the model, uh, as I said, as a tool to combat these things that I mentioned earlier. However, it does add uh, a level of complexity to the process uh, and suddenly um, it's susceptible to political forces um, over which you have little control. Um, and to just go into a little bit more detail about that, um, we have to navigate uh, a car share policy for every city council where we operate, right? So at the moment, we're sitting in the city of Melbourne. The city of Melbourne has a car share policy. Next door, the city of Yarra has a car share policy where incidentally, there's a freeze on new car share bay applications until they revise their policy. Um, and, and so on and so forth. City of Port Phillip, city of Moreland, city of Darabin, you know, and. It, so, so what we've got to try and do as a car share service provider is navigate all of these uh, various car share policies. Um, and what's particularly difficult for me is trying to marry up when my cars are coming available with when good new locations become available. Because I can lodge an application today uh, with any city council only for it to be approved in three or even six months time. So it becomes quite uh, speculative. Um, so to answer the second part, uh, part of your question, uh, is there anything that yeah. governments could be doing more? Uh, one of the things we're campaigning for um, is to the state government, um, so one, one level of government up. And we're saying things to uh, the state government such as, can we sit down and talk about a statewide policy framework which at least gives um, a point of reference for city councils to refer to in the hope that we can get some more consistency through the process um, and, and make it a little bit easier for, for all the stakeholders involved. Um, but yeah, as I said at the beginning, it's a fascinating uh, coming together um, of the 
public and, and private sectors, and it's, a, it's an evolving conversation. Yeah. Okay, imagine, what about? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I suppose you asked before what the conversations were, and I never really got to the, <laughs> never really got to the, the, the punchline of that one. But I mean, it, I think something that developers are probably apprehensive and, um, and a little worried about in terms of actually rolling out a, a purpose-built co-living development is the fact that there isn't really any policy that kind of allows for that type of housing at the moment. So you've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of the zoning in Melbourne was very much kind of segre like segregated. So you'd have your commercial zones, you'd have your residential zones. And interestingly enough, it seems a little bit counterproductive because we all know that kind of diversity fosters sustainability and well-being. So, I mean, having kind of that five or that the 20 minute city, you know, being able to kind of get to all of these things almost in a way kind of lends itself to that mixed use development. And I mean, we're seeing more and more large scale developments in the kind of 1400 unit space come up with retail precincts and hospitality precincts and you know commercial precincts and things like that so they're getting better in that way but i mean there was there was a not a policy document necessarily but kind of a better apartment um, guidelines you know for architects and developers in Melbourne that was that was kind of pushed out recently and um, an architecture firm that I worked at previously called Rothy Lohman was really kind of um, you know, instrumental in pushing back on some of the uh, really unrealistic guidelines that have been put in place but really the their recommendation is that a, that a private living space is you know at least 50 square meters fine you know that that makes sense in in kind of traditionally designed apartment developments um, they also say that you have to put uh, a private balcony space in every apartment at 40 stories up it's probably not that nice to hang out on the balcony so how can you reuse those spaces in you know, larger courtyard spaces or internal shared spaces um, and actually you know, develop spaces that are useful and enjoyable and facilitate serendipitous interactions? Um, but council, it will, be, it, it will be quite a task to basically put in some new regulations because at the moment there is there is nothing that says you can have a smaller living space and a larger open space. I mean, does that fit within your hostels? Does that fit within your kind of uh, uh, your hotels and hospitality? There isn't really anything that allows for this. And that is scary because, you know, a lot of policy will need to be kind of put in place and and uh, rallied against and rallied for. So, yeah being open, councils being open to change. <laughs> it's being open to see That's what right. happens. Well, I mean, I think it's that thing of, of saying that, again, you know, it's not for everyone. Like, it, you're, not, you're not saying that as a developer or an architect, if you're designing something different to what already exists, that everyone needs to live in that. But Because mainly co-living is just small private spaces yeah. and then big Having larger areas. spaces. I mean, you know, what do you do in your bedroom most of the time? You're asleep, you can watch TV. So there are other private things that you also <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, like at the end of the day, 
say, engaging in larger spaces and being able to kind of draw upon those resources and kind of amalgamate smaller unused spaces seems like a better use of space. And I mean, we need to think intelligently about these things rather than, you know, just resting on the laurels of what's been happening for centuries. So. Fantastic. Yeah. So if we, we imagine we have someone who, we know there are some businesses that they're transitioning from, you know, uh, for example, Adobe or software companies where it was just a product that you will get a package now as a membership based mm -hmm. business model. I just I subscribe to it. Uh, and then we have digital natives, which are already part of that's the business model. That's how they, from since the beginning. Yeah. So where do you see these membership um, economy going or this you know sharing economy going what 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 do you what are your predictions let's call it that way yeah <laughs> um yeah i think um you know i mentioned earlier car share is in its infancy um in australia yes we have a hundred thousand members why is it in its infancy it's in its infancy because when you consider that our competitor is the private car <laughs> of which there are millions upon millions uh, in Australia, then it gives you an idea uh, of what the potential uptake uh, you know, still remains. Um, a, as a point of reference, um, in some parts of Sydney, like Surrey Hills, um, membership of, of a car share service is as much as 20% of the licensed population. Um, and the city of Melbourne, where we are now, um, has set a target that 30% of households will be car share members um, over the coming years. So that gives you a sense of, you know, we, we, we're scratching the surface, um, but there is still um, a lot of penetration or potential for, for penetration um, in, in the market still. Uh, Can I just um, yeah. interrupt you? Yep. Anyone actually wants to know what it's actually like to be in all of these? I'm in all three um, car sharing networks in Melbourne, and I've been one in, in GoGet in Sydney for about eight or nine years. So if anyone actually wants to know after this, what's like, just come say hi. I'd like to get some, like get some first-hand feedback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, for a while there, I was this, like, this advertising person. I, I get a bit boring about how good it is, generally. Um, yeah. But I've yet to actually have anyone I've met or know in the last nine mm. years who is also a car sharer. Yeah. People just don't consider yeah. it. But it's yeah. Right. So, so, <laughs> so anecdotally, you, you can see, uh, and, and one of the things that I consider a big part of my job is simply raising awareness, right? Is not assuming um, that you can walk into a room and just say, oh, you know, car share this, that, and the other thing. You actually have to go back to the beginning and, and, and tell people why it exists, um, you know, what, what are the benefits, um, and, and really start from, from that point. So absolutely take your point. But I can also say that I feel like, um, just in, in my conversations such as these and other events that I attend, the, the needle is almost tipping, right? So now I can say, I work for GoGet, and, and the response will be, oh, GoGet as in car share, um, at least in, you know, in the city environment, um, which I find fascinating. And, and to me, it's an indication that we are making headway um, and that we'll continue to, to get the sort of that uptick in, in um, in not utilization, but signups from, from the members, members of the public. Uh, I suppose membership models in, um, in housing. So, I mean, renting is kind of a membership model <laughs> in, a, in a funny way, but uh, I think there's been a lot of conversation around this in, in that kind of co-living space as well, because how do you make it different from just, you know, development and the build to rent model, which is now kind of on the tips of everyone's tongues, you know? 
Um, in some ways, we kind of did the numbers and um, not having to pay all these additional fees and project marketing, you know, a developer who can sit there and actually develop um, the, the development or the, the building and then basically have people come in and inhabit and pay ongoing rent um, actually sometimes works out more financially, you know, rewarding. So, but how do we, you know, it's going to sound like a cliched millennial, but how do, we, how do we decentralize some of that wealth? I mean, what's the... What's the difference? You know, do we do we get people to buy in with a smaller chunk of money so that they own kind of a few bricks in the building and then they get dividends off some of the shared commercial spaces? Or, you know, how does it work? I mean, there's a lot there as well that needs to be resolved, you know, explored before it can be resolved. But it would be nice to to be able to add just a dash of utopia to you know the realism that needs to occur in all of this because. Obviously, trying to pioneer something like this um, is a huge feat in and of itself, and trying to add kind of all these nice-to-haves is, is, is hard. But I hope that there's someone out there altruistically who wants to kind of help, you know, shift wealth a little bit in the, in the housing and property sphere. So, yeah. focused I think than urbanly so like Ballarat or Bendigo, Launceston, Newcastle, Townsville councils have all invested some money into mm. smart cities. How do, how do you see that sort of working or not with both of your respective organisations moving forward and is there a plan to try and integrate more into the smart cities concept or to, mm. to be outside of that and continue on your merry way? So I know I know about smart homes, smart cities. We we tech. Is it more about the infrastructure that's been put in them? Where what's what's our definition at the moment? It's, 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 it's so broad and varied. Yeah. Really everything. Yeah. From security to internet to yeah. living, yeah. health to transport. Um, some yeah. other cities in the world yeah. are a lot better. Singapore, right. for example, is one of the leading cities. Yeah. In the world right. Smart cities. I'll open to Justin first. Yeah, and, and I think <laughs> it, it speaks to that whole idea of interconnectedness. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly, again, I can speak from, from the position of car share because mm. that's what I do. Uh, and you know what, what we're trying to do in car share is build this community of early adopters um, such that you know, when the autonomous vehicle arrives, these are the people uh, who are going to be more likely to uh, ad adopt it more readily uh, than, than others. And to that point, I'll just add that there's a couple of schools uh, on autonomous vehicles uh, and, and their effect on, on our cities. Um, the, the school of thought that, that we subscribe to, and, and that is really, really quite compelling, is the fact that um, autonomous vehicles must be shared if they are truly to realize the decongestion benefits that mm. they offer. Yeah. Right? So in effect, we're at a crossroad now. We can uh, pursue uh, autonomous vehicles in a private capacity, and arguably our cities will be even more congested, uh, congested than they are today. Alternatively, if we uh, keep on this trajectory uh, of uh, car sharing and use these vehicles in a shared context, then we will continue to, to, to realize uh, and to see these vehicles being retired 
um, from, from the streets. Uh, and to, to speak to your point, I think car share has a massive role to play um, in shaping the urban environment uh, in the future. And, and you know, we, we don't like car parks. <laughs> you know, we, we want to see um, green spaces uh, and urban farming uh, and, and, you know, the things which are currently just concrete nothingness today. We want to see these give a greater, um, something greater, greater amenity to the community which they serve. So absolutely, we, we want to play a, a, a big role in, in smart cities as they as they're ushered in. And also, it's, it's very interesting how Melbourne is going to play up in that. It's been, you know, seventh time the most livable city yeah. in the world. Mm. But how long is that that's going to be? Mm. What are the changes that the city needs to make mm. so that we're still there, yeah, exactly. right? And I think it's, it's, it's close to that concept of what a smart city is, about what it gives to the citizens. Mm. I suppose on a, on a more micro level, though, it's kind of amusing because a lot of developments that have gone up don't aren't actually wired enough for just basic integrations, like, you know, you, you know, your online security, your online heating, your online interconnectedness, and, and to kind of develop that aspect of having a social home in a way, and it's not necessarily a social network, it's a social network within the home, um, is, is something that it will blow up anytime soon. You know, it's just something that is, it's on, you know, the precipice of, of being huge. But being able to kind of have a, a social development that can draw from existing amenity, like um, community spaces or, um, you know, really anything that's being underutilized around the area to be able to stitch people in in that multi-residential building. So there are so many ways if you integrate it from you know the inside out for being able to connect in. And you're right, I think interconnectivity is, is the perfect word for it. So yeah. Thanks, Danielle. We had a question over there. Yeah, um, just um, I guess looking at the title of this talk, just access versus ownership. Mm. Ownership obviously is about having access when you want it. Mm. Yeah. And the second part, I'll just give you yeah, two, yeah. Um, is with regards to that space, yeah. um, is the idea that, because um, you mentioned something about owning, like who owns the space, mm. or can it be owned by a larger community? Exactly. So that way, yeah. it's actually transient, so they are wanting to be here, I have work to do over there next week, so maybe I'll just pick up and go live over there. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. I don't own the couch, I don't own the table. Yeah. It, <laughs> Yeah, look, there's definitely, yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, opportunity for that as well. And we kind of saw that potentially each one of these developments might pop up, become, you know, a community in and of itself, but then also those developments be interconnected into one another. So it becomes like a broader network of kind of co-living developments and you're not just kind of, you know, in, in and of this, this really confined space and development and, and area. But it's it's interesting the one about you know who's going to kill one another <laughs> and things like that. But yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, look, people clash. It's interesting because it stems from it stems from a deeper kind of societal <laughs> issue. I think of, of of tolerance over kind of understanding and compassion. And I think in a way we're we're kind of wired at the moment to to tolerate people's you know if, if we decide it's idiocy or whatever it is or their behavior or things that don't align with us but you'll find in a way that 
like-minded people tend to attract other like-minded people. And that doesn't matter at what, you know, what, what kind of level or what kind of interest that is. It just means that they kind of gravitate towards one another. And you'll also find that in a lot of ways, the person who feels kind of that they're not, you know, fitting within that will fall away as well. So I'd I like to think there's a, there's a part, a partly, um, it's natural selection in a way, but there's also just a no dickheads well, policy, so you know, like. Well, like that's that's yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think, but I think, like, I don't, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, look, I actually just moved into a house with five other people. So, and, and it's, it's a house that was not established previously. So I haven't moved in as a solo person. We've all moved in together at the exact same time. And it's a really interesting social experiment to look at how we're all kind of setting behaviors within that environment. And it really is that you set the tone for what you believe is acceptable. And most of the time, you know, four out of five or five out of six people will be on the right side of the fence. And you know, that person gets outvoted and their behavior is unacceptable, you know? You've got herd mentality and hopefully that herd mentality is of a positive nature rather than a negative nature. So it's just about communicating, it's about setting the tone, it's about leading by example. And in some ways it's interesting because if you just look at natural herds of, you know, I don't know, animals or, you know, packs of dogs or whatever, there's always kind of this alpha that leads by example. And I think if you have someone who's, you know, has a strong sense of self and has, you know, good convictions and everyone's best interests at heart, you know, that will be that kind of pioneer for a really healthy living space. So, yeah, it's... I think um, with a lot of this as well is sharing cars as an example, I go get, because there's three of them parked just <laughs> underneath where I live. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I want, and yeah. I catch a train to work. Yeah. So for me to put expenses into a car mm. is, you know, why would I put 30 grand into an asset that depreciates by 15% a year mm. when the opportunity cost of that's amazing? But the thing with this co- with co-living though, um, I think it's great, especially for those who are renting, they mm. can save more money, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But for those who want to buy an asset and a home, the one problem there is that at the government level, the home is CGT free, and what determines growth in a property is land. Yeah. So for people who want hard assets to live in that go up in value, they're going to have to at some point acquire land. Yeah. And then by only owning a co-shared environment, that could actually increase the inequality further because they're not putting their money into assets that appreciate the value. Well, uh, what's to say that the development won't appreciate? I mean, that like just as kind of inflation increases, you know, that development will increase in, in profit. And I think there's a there's a clause in the Nightingale model where you can't sell it for you know more than what you. I don't, I don't, I'm making that up. So there, like there is a clause where you can, yeah where you can't inflate too much the cost of what you bought it for. Um, so again, it's just about and that's that's why there's complications. I don't mean to sit here and go this is the hurdle, this is the hurdle, this is the hurdle, and say that it can't be done. I mean, it has been done, but to be done well. Is, is another thing and there are a lot of things that need to be really fine-tuned and worked out because it can work and it can work really well but it's it's about someone taking that leap of faith and really you know going through the teething process to be that early adopter um, that that is the most important thing but I think yeah. it still appreciates it's still something you could own it's still something you know I think it's also a mindset yeah. I would say appreciate as much as land 
assets, which you could always build and develop the land. But what it can disrupt, I think, is property development as it currently stands. Yeah. Because if I buy a it's probably good. A unit <laughs> of property development, yeah. I'm it, like what I lump it, yeah. unless it's done perfectly and it's ethical. Like yeah. Nine times out of ten, it's going to take you five to eight years before you get back the price you paid mm. for that asset. Yeah. Because there's 20 to 100 other apartments that look the Definitely. same. Definitely. I feel poorly. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And look, there's a, again, it's that broader issue of going, you know, what are good apartments? And I mean, the government is is trying to make steps in the right direction, but again, sometimes it's not coming from a place that is vocational or you know from a very you know, like entrenched way. That it's just that surface level stuff again. That's really not asking the people who are actually doing these things what's and it just that just baffles me every time that you just don't go to the person the first the first kind of principle of market research is just to ask the person you're trying to do something for you know like it's just you know, like it just common sense it's just yeah it just sounds it's just crazy to me that, that concept anyway so to that yeah. end yeah. um i'm interested in the connection businesses i've worked in a large corporate yeah yeah, two months, I think, I'm or three. I'm really fascinated yeah. by the things that you guys see at Work Club. Yeah. About a group of people <laughs> sharing a working space together mm. and who, what are the real bugbears and, and heavy lifting you know, pain points to run it in a harmonious way, how that could be translated yeah. to shared living. <laughs> That's interesting because, um, well, I'm, I'm just someone... You, it's all very well, but how can, you know, people returning their glass well, I think it's just about leading by example. I mean, the first ones that need to lead by examples are the ones who are part of work club, right? Um, so that people will see your behavior. We're, we're animals and we copy what we, you know, and, and the other part is also building community. So it just, uh, and it's about just trying to engage everyone. And you, we're human beings and it's fascinating because I travel a lot and I've seen kind of similar behaviors that happen here in a hostel for example, because we are living together. And it's funny, but it's that's what happens. We're human beings. And I think that's natural to us. And we have to learn how to shape that in a way that fits within the culture of the space. Because maybe what our rules for here for this space might not work for another co-working space because the community there is different and they have different needs. I think it's also to understand your community, even just Melbourne is different to Work Club Sydney. We're different, or even uh, Kami, who does my role there as well, uh, when we talk about events, people react differently. Uh, and sometimes something that is successful there doesn't work here, vice versa. Uh, and we're all under the big umbrella of work club. Um, however, it's just understanding that community and just say, okay, what do they need? Uh, how we can challenge the community, how we can answer to their needs, and how we can shape their behavior so everyone is, can live under. I reckon in the communities, what will take out all of that? People want a sense of belonging, and yeah, and and we're here. I'll, I'll stay. I, I have honestly, it's the first time in a co-work. I prefer this over any office because <laughs> of the community and all the people you yeah, meet. Yeah, the, the connection. But with little living, that thing, someone's got to take the punt. Yeah. But if you can create such a, it's all over yeah. social media, all yeah, that, yeah. and everyone wants to be a part of it. That's when you'll get the growth. And people do, and I, you said before, you know, it, it might be good, because I, I forgot because I answered a different question, but you, you said before, you know, people can save money. It's, it's not actually about saving money. The rent 
actually might be more expensive. But think of the things that you could that that you have access to. I mean, if you've got a co-working space in the building, if you've got a grocery store within the building, if you've got a rooftop, you know, veggie garden within the building, if you've got dry cleaning services, if you've got Wi-Fi that you don't need to set up and pay, you know, a billion dollars to get a like a locked into a contract and have a modem sent out and whatever the hell else goes on. Um, I've moved a lot of times this year. <laughs> but the point is, you know, if you've got these already established networks, I mean, we, we are driven as a culture for convenience, you know, and, and if you're kind of, and the nice thing is that it's convenience not on kind of a, just a surface level, because sometimes convenience can mean hard and fast friendships, it can mean hard and fast, you know, wasteful, unethical fashion, it can mean, all of these other things. But if you can build a sense of convenience within a shared environment and have kind of meaningful, authentic connections with the people that you live around, whilst also drawing upon existing or shared or already purchased or already owned resources, wouldn't that be an incredible kind of place to live? That's good. Um, yeah, and what I was gonna say is, is just to kind of hone in on this idea of rules, right? So um, GoGet is membership-based. Um, so, so when you sign up, you become part of this community, but there are also certain obligations. Um, I, I, it's no secret that we rely heavily on our members to help keep the service running smoothly, right? You wouldn't want to get into a car that has you know, litter and wrappers and coffee cups. So by the same token, the expectation is that at the end of your booking, you'll take those with you. Um, if it so happens um, that the next member gets into the car, and calls us up and says that it's absolutely filthy, I can't use that car, then we will um, take that matter up with the previous person to use the car, right? And, and there's various things we can do. We can write in their sort of member history, we can apply a fine if the person can substantiate what they're saying is true. Um, and so there's these kind of checks and balances that we, we put in place to, to kind of keep the system running smoothly. And I'm sure in a co-housing environment, if it's not formal, perhaps there is some kind of constitution, right? Some informal agreement that uh, you yes. buy into. When Even you... here we have, you know, when members right. come in, well, yeah. this is our rules, this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, conscious about timing, so um, we're going to finish now. But before we finish, uh, we'd like uh, Justin and Daniel to say in a maybe two or three sentences why it's better to access than owning something, mm -hmm. just in general. Why? Okay, Why? I'll, 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 keep this, <laughs> I'll keep this as short as, as I can. Why? Because it's a win across the board. Uh, and I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, it's, sustain, it's more sustainable. Uh, it's good for the community. Uh, and it's good for your bottom line, right? Oftentimes, <laughs> it's, it's cheaper or more financially sustainable uh, than the traditional way of doing things. So you can share without compromising your lifestyle. I think we that's the... Can increase it? And this is because it yeah. did come up, and I was sort of waiting yeah. for it to, but I use multiple shared you know, um, uh, products, and one thing that I've found is that I can actually have access to better quality Right, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. work hard. For me to go and pay rent somewhere else, I'd actually mm. have some shitbox in wherever. Yeah. And here I can have all the furniture and I can have the view and, yeah, yeah. and I actually have access to better quality. Yeah. Same with vehicles, yeah. right? You, you might own a yeah. 20, 30 year old vehicle, but can, yeah. through the car share network, not only, you're not limited to one vehicle, but suddenly you have convertibles yeah. <laughs> and vans and everything in between. So. Yeah, there's the freedom there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks, Emma. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I'll, I'll take it from a different angle because obviously you've got the kind of sustainability aspect there, you've got access to shared resources, but um, if you look at it from a spatial perspective, getting people in the same room, fostering a sense of community, uh, you know, having person-to-person -person interactions, encouraging communication, you know, encouraging compromise. And I think the other thing before about kind of respecting something is that the, we, we as people in a, in a um, kind of social aspect, when you sit down with someone and you have a conversation with them, they'll ask you, they'll tell you about something and you'll try and relate into your own mind what experiences you've had. And it's like in this sense, if, you're, if you've shared something, you know what the experience is like receiving back something damaged. So the more people who share, the more likely it is that we will actually have greater compassion and understanding within society on a broader level about each other as human beings, but also about our belongings and our things and what that means to us and our associations with that. So you can come, from, come at it from right. you know, that, that angle That's fantastic. Well. From a business perspective, it can be profitable. From an individual perspective, we can have a better quality of yeah. life and we can be better human beings. Yeah. So I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.